We are continuing our sermon series called Rules for the Road. Rules for the Road. And um, we uh, have reminded you throughout the sermon series the last few weeks of a few things. Uh, when you're traveling on the road, road, uh, you might travel differently than me. Maybe you may take more pit stops than I like to take. Or perhaps you like to, um, perhaps you like to um, uh, take the more scenic route. Or perhaps you drive a little slower or faster than, than me or somebody else. But ultimately, no matter how you travel, you have, a, you have a goal. That is, you have a destination that you're heading towards. And you want to get there. And you want to get there safely. And so that's how it goes in life as well. In life, we all have different roads and journeys and we travel a little differently than each other. But all of us have a preferred destination in life. And we all want to get there and we all want to get there safely. So we've been talking about rules for the road. And each week of the series, we have given you a couple things. We've given you um, a, uh, a, ver- a card in the back. And they're in the back right now as you leave. Debbie will probably remind you again before we dismiss today. But there's a verse on the one side that's the memory verse or the scripture verse for that week's sermon. It may have nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a verse that fits the rule. And we want to give you a verse to take home and memorize. And then on the other side is the rule for the road for that week. And we've given you three so far. In week one, we told you uh, rule number one was know how to handle the curves. And if that doesn't make sense to you and you missed that one, I can encourage you, anytime you want to catch a message you missed, Go to our website, lighthousecedarlake.com. There's a messages tab. You can listen to them on podcast form or watch them on YouTube as well there. And, um, but that was rule number one. Rule number two, we said whether or not you know where you are, look for direction. And then last week, if you were with us, we talked about, we gave you rule number three, which is check yourself before you wreck yourself. And so today we're going to talk about a new topic. Now, I wonder how many here Recognize this sign. <laughs> okay, so if you're listening to this later and you don't see it, there's a picture of a road closed sign. And we are very familiar with road closed signs at Lighthouse Church because apparently they, uh, they surround us. In fact, to get to our property from either direction, you've got to travel around a road closed sign. They're never any fun, right? Um, if you are familiar, as we are, when you come to a road closed sign, it's very inconvenient. My, my worst story of a road closed sign was when I was traveling down one time to do a wedding. Met a couple. I was doing a wedding for a couple hours south of here in Indiana. And it was in the middle of nowhere. I mean, the, the nearby town was dinky in the middle of nowhere. This was outside of town. A little destination place that would have been hard to find. And I had GPS, right? But this is before, this is a few years back before GPS was quite as good as, as it is now. Now it tells you when the roads are closed, or as Sharon, as you said earlier, when the storms are coming, right? It's really nice. But um, this GPS um, didn't have that, it wasn't that good. So it took me down this road, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, and then the road was closed. But my map said go that way. I don't know where I'm at. And it's not the kind of city block where you can just go around a block and get back on. It's like miles sometimes to the next major road going somewhere. So I'm just turning. You know, I try to travel a different direction, and it kept trying to turn me around and send me back to the road closed. So I'm like turning it off. I'm zooming out of my map on my phone, trying to figure out my own map of how to get around. And I finally did, and I got to a whole other spot across the other side of wherever, and I found an adjoining road. And guess what? It was closed. Road closed again. 
And I'm like, I might even be able to get here. So I don't know how I finally found a way to get this, to this place. It was insane. And, and when that happens, when we are in an unexpected area and the road is closed, what happens to us is this. At best, at best, we feel like, great. This is going to take me longer than I wanted it to take me because there's a road that's closed. At best, it's inconvenient. At worst, at worst, we might think, I can't even get where I'm going. I can't even get there. I'm just going to go home. I'm done. I am not even trying to get to where I'm going. I'm just done with this trip because I can't figure it out. I'm just going back. And so road closures are no fun. And I want us to think about that in the context of life today. Because sometimes in life, you and I have all come to spots where we thought we knew where we were going, we had a plan, we had a route, and the road got closed. And we're like, what in the world? And sometimes we found another road closed. And at some point, you'll at least admit it's inconvenient and frustrating and takes longer. But at worst, at worst, we're tempted to say, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm just, I'm not even going to try because I can't get there. There's no possible way. It's not possible. So I want to tell you a Bible story today. It's going to be a long one. I've got a long Bible story. It's a long story in the Bible. I'm going to tell the whole thing, so it's long. And then when I'm done with the story, I'm going to really quickly give you a couple statements that I hope you'll take home with you, and it will be the end. But most of today is going to be a story that I hope will resonate with you in a fresh way. It's a story about a young man named Joseph. Joseph, in our story, is 17 years of age. Let me repeat that. He's 17 years old. And we'll pick up the story in Genesis 37 and verse 5. It says, one night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. We'll explain more about that in just a moment. We'll say more about that in just a moment here, okay? But here's the thing. He had this dream. They hated him. It says, listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle of grain stood up to his brothers. Your bundles of grain all gathered around and bowed low before mine. I wonder why they hated him. I don't know. I can't imagine what the problem was here, right? But he has this dream. And, and his brothers, and this is interesting, to understand why this is significant, you need to understand the family dynamic and their legacy. Joseph's dad is a pretty incredible guy and a pretty crazy guy in a lot of ways. Um, for one, he, he's going to be a patriarch to us today, we know about. His dad's name is Jacob. In fact, Joseph's great-granddaddy is Abraham. Jacob, his dad, he had dreams and visions. He had dreams and visions along the way. And in his dreams and visions, uh, God had showed him different things. And so Joseph had whatever gift his dad had, but he had it even bigger and he had it even more. Now, Joseph was not in a normal situation because even though his dad was pretty special, his dad was pretty wild. And his dad had a lot of sons. His, and Joseph had a lot of brothers from a lot of different mothers. <laughs> I'm not sure how to say this. Uh, Joseph's dad had a lot of, not wives, um, a lot of women. Joseph's dad had two wives who were sisters, so this is bizarre, right? And then they were given, and then the one he liked the most couldn't have kids, and the other one was having kids, and then they began to give their maids that they worked for them, they were wealthy because um, dad was a financial success, their maids to, to be 
baby mamas to, to Jacob as well. So all of a sudden, he has four different women birthing out kids. So all these boys are growing up. They're mostly sons. So all these brothers are not, they're half-brothers, most of them are. And of the, all these half-brothers with these four different women and one dad, there's Joseph, who's born later, finally to the one wife that Jacob really kind of liked the most in the first place. She gives birth finally to him. And then later on, she gives birth to another son, and she dies giving birth to the younger son. So now Joseph's mom is dead. And he's with his half-brothers and their moms and his dad. And it's really a weird, look, I don't care how you carve that up. That's a very strange family dynamic. And I can only imagine the tension amongst the women folk and the boys and everybody else. And honestly, in the middle of the whole story, Joseph's brothers were dysfunctional, unhealthy people. They were just unhealthy. And so Joseph is young. He's 17. He has this dream. He shares it with them. But Joseph, this is important to understand, this vision, this dream that God gave him was one of a God-ordained destination a God-ordained destination that Joseph was heading towards, that God had something special for his life, that his family would see and respect, that he was going to do something special in life. He had this dream that God was taking him somewhere. In fact, the story goes on in verse 9. It says, soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. think he'd learn. He told his brothers about it. Listen, he said, I've had another dream. He said, the sun, the moon, And the 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of a dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? And again, his dad understood something about dreams and visions. Joseph seemed to have an extra special version. He understood what it meant. Verse 11 says that while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father, well, his father wondered what the dreams meant. For this and for a host of other reasons, Joseph's brothers hated him. They couldn't stand him. They were unhealthy people anyhow. His half-brothers, I should say. And one day, now remember, Dad had built a family fortune in the, in the, in the, in the, in the shepherding business. He had a lot of sheep and, and cattle and flocks. And so the boys, his sons, his young adult sons from all his different women, they're all working together in his business, the family business of watching the sheep. And they would kind of go out about looking for pasture, looking for food for the animals. And so one day, they were gone for a while, and J- Joseph's dad says, Joseph, go find your brothers, find out where they are, and just give me an update. I'm just kind of curious what's going on. So Joseph takes off to find his brothers, and they see him coming at some point, whenever he finally finds them. They see him coming, and they're like, oh, great. Party's over. Guess who's showing up? Joseph. I hate that kid. And then one of them's like, I know, I know what we can do. Let's kill him. Okay, that escalated quickly right there, okay? Let's kill him, they said. And they all said, yeah, yeah. And then his oldest brother's like, no, 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 let's not get his blood on our own hands. We'll just throw him in this empty well, this empty cistern that we found. Throw him down in there, he can't get out. And then maybe a wild animal will get him, or maybe the elements will get him, but it won't be on our hands directly. But he was trying to do that to rescue him later to save his life. They all agree. They threw him down in the cistern, and then they sat down to eat while he's crying and begging for help in there. 
And while they're sitting there figuring out what's next, they see a large caravan coming down the major roadway from one direction, heading to the direction of Egypt. And it's a caravan, an Ishmaelite caravan of traders that traded in goods and materials and wealth and people. And they had a bright idea. Why kill our brother? We can still get rid of him and make a little money for ourselves. Uh huh? Come on, guys. We can sell our brother off as a slave to these traders. We'll take him to Egypt. We'll never see him again. And the drinks are on me because they're going to get some cash. So they pull him out of the cistern. Before he can come out and say thank you, thank you guys, he realizes what's happening. And they sell him. for. Let me read the verse to you. It says in Genesis 37, 28, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt, a foreign, a foreign country, foreign land. Yikes. Can we just for a moment not read the stories of the Bible like we normally do with coffee? Like, ooh, what a good adventure. That's terrifying. Can we identify for a moment with how absolutely horrible and hurtful this would have been? Taken by his family, people he knew and trusted, his older half-brothers. And, and all of a sudden, he's, he's, the thing is going to hurt them, and he sells them. And he's, there's no coming back from this, folks. He's not going to do an internship in Egypt and Ubering back home later on. He's gone. There's no return trip. He's a slave now. His brothers trafficked him away. And as he's being hauled away, as he watches his home area disappear forever in the distance. And the last thing he sees is his brothers grinning faces because they, they, they got the best of him disappearing in the distance. And he'd never see his dad again. And he'd never see his house again. And he'd never see his home area again. He's gone to Egypt for the rest of, for, to be a slave for the rest of his life. And as Joseph is being taken there, how absolutely hurtful and how horrible this whole ordeal would have been. Verse, uh, chapter 39, verse 1 says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So if we can take a moment to undissect that. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had a lot of his army under him, but he had his own guard, his own secret service, if you please. And, and over that guard was Potiphar. So Potiphar kind of took care of the royal guard. And he's a wealthy man because of it. He has a lot of means. He has a lot of money. So he has a lot of slaves and a lot of servants. And he was in the market for another one the day that these guys pulled up. And he walks over and sees this young 17-year-old kid being auctioned off. And he buys Joseph to be one of his slaves. Because he can do that. And Joseph, at the age of 17, is now amongst the other slaves and the hired servants too, working in Potiphar's house. And nothing changes. Nothing changes for years. Well, something changes. In some weird way, it actually goes pretty well for Joseph. At some point, they begin to say, I like this kid. Maybe it was his work ethic. Maybe it was his attitude. Maybe it was just that he had some abilities to do everything well. But eventually, the other servants and slaves liked him. Potiphar noticed him. Eventually, he got more responsibility. And we don't know how it goes down. But over the next several years, let me repeat, several years, Joseph becomes a young adult man 
who at this point is kind of runs the household. At some point over time, they start entrusting him to, to oversee all the other slaves and all the servants. And while Potiphar is busy taking care of Pharaoh's business because Pharaoh's the king, over at home, he don't worry about nothing because Joseph's taking care of his business and he completely trusts him. He's handling everything. And so we're like, that's cool. We read the story, we're like, that's pretty awesome. But is it really awesome? Before we romanticize that, He's a slave. Come on now. Is that our dream? Like, is that, is that the dream we have? Like, man, you know, it would be great if, my fam- if, if I was sold, if I was trafficked into slavery in a foreign land by my own relatives who hate me. And I would never come back, and I'd, but I'd be the best favorite slave over there in that foreign land. That'd be the best thing in the world. I mean, this is a bad deal. He's flourishing in his circumstances, but he's still a slave and he's not home. But hey, he's respected. And as bad as it is and as bad as it's going to be, It's going as well as it could be because he's now trusted. Until. There's always an until, right? Until. As things seem to be finally going better. I mean, it took a big downturn when his brother sold him, but they're going better, all things considering. Until. Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, she begins to kind of get an eye for Joseph. He's a young man. I guess she's kind of some kind of a cougar in the story. I don't know. She's got her eye on Joseph. She's like, hmm. I mean, Mr. Potiphar, he's over there at Pharaoh's palace all the time, right? Potiphar's over there at Pharaoh's doing Pharaoh's business. So she don't see him all the time. But you know who she sees all the time? Joseph and the other slaves. And she's watched him turn into a young adult man. He's sharp and he's attractive. He's, he's got his act together. He's made his way to be in charge of all the other people. Where'd they get this guy from? He's the one, not her husband. He's the one that fixes the door hinges when they're squeaking. He's the one who takes care of the problems. He's around. And so she begins to go about the business of trying to seduce him. And Joseph's like, listen, lady, no. I fear God, and I respect your husband. And he has given me a lot of trust and responsibility, and I am not going to violate your husband's trust and my faith in God by doing that, no. And she would back off and say, I should, uh, uh. but then she would try again later on, and he, would, and he always turned it down. But I think the more he was unavailable, the more she wanted him. And finally one day she decides, I'm going to go all and i got to be more aggressive. So she finds a spot when he's in the house alone because the other slaves or servants were out doing other things. And she, he, she happened to catch him in the house and she was waiting. And she just grabs a hold of him physically and says, you're going to lay with me. We're going to, we're going to do this thing. And he tries to pull, she's like, come here, big boy. And he's like, no. And they're fighting. And she has, she has her hands on his outer coat. He can't get away from her. So eventually he just kind of pulls out of his coat and leaves her coat in his hands and he runs to get away. And this time she has tried so hard, she has put herself out there so far that as he rejects her to that level, she's humiliated. And she feels scorned. So she lays his coat aside and as the other servants or slaves show up, she says, did you see what Joseph, hear what Joseph tried to do while well, you guys were gone? He tried to come in here and rape me and force himself on me. But I screamed and yelled and he got scared and ran. But look, I got the proof. He left his coat. She told the story all day. And then when her husband came home, I'm sure everyone was on pins and needles as he arrived home that night. She's waiting for him and she says, that Joseph you brought in here so many years ago, you think so much of him. Well, while you were gone, he tried to rape me and force himself on me. And I'm a good wife. I would never do anything wrong. So I, I protested profusely in my virtue and screamed. Here's the proof. 
In Genesis 39, 19, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he, there he remained. Now again, you have to understand, this is the king's prison, this is the king's prisoners, but because Potiphar is the captain of the guard, he has access, and that's where Joseph's going. And this is not good. This, again, once again, just like his brother's shocking him and selling him, trafficking him, now he's in prison falsely accused, and there's no ticket out. He would, look, he wasn't going to post bail three days later and get a great defense attorney. He was there until they, he could be executed or killed in prison or just rot one day. There's just no path forward for him. Unless Potiphar changes his mind, and what's the chances of that? And it just seems so wrong. Like I thought I had a dream from God and then that robe got closed by my brother selling me as a slave. But then it seemed like it was going somewhere maybe. And I got falsely accused by someone who was cruel. And they closed another road for me. And now I'm in prison with no prospects, no hope. What's going on? But strangely enough, Joseph also rose to favor in the prison. The keeper of the prison is this young adult man. He, he's sharp. He's not like the other people in the prison. He seems like he doesn't really fit in. He's, he's got something going on. They like him. He, he begins to trust. I always wonder if Potiphar kind of puts a good word in for him and says, hey, that guy I put in prison there, he was my house administrator. He's sharp. Maybe Potiphar knew his wife was a little cray-cray. I don't know. Or maybe he has no idea. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he said nothing. But either way, the, the keeper of the prison begins to realize this kid's special, and he begins to trust him with responsibility. And over the next several years, let me say that again, the next several years, Joseph shifts from being in prison to basically running the place. He begins to take care of the other prisoners. The keeper of the prison doesn't worry about a thing. He can come to work, punch the clock, and go play Xbox Live in the back while Joseph took care of the prison because he, knew, he trusted him. And Joseph's up there doing, doing what the prisoners needed administrating, just like he administrated so well in Potiphar's house, he's administrating so well in the prison with complete trust. You're like, that's pretty cool, is it? How many want that to be our story? Once you're sold into slavery in a foreign land by your family who trafficked you and hated you, you made your way to get, come along until someone falsely accused you and threw you into that prison in that foreign land, but you were the favorite prisoner in the prison, huh? You got a plaque on your wall, prisoner of the year. I mean, seriously, there's nothing about this that's great, but at least he's doing well where he's at. And one day, and by the way, years go by. Joseph, Joseph is now 28 years old. He has been 11 years removed from the time his brothers trafficked him, from the time he had a dream of where God was going to take him. 11 years have passed, and he's made his way to, to slavery and now to prison been a real good journey. And one day, something happens. Some special guests arrive in the prison. It was the king pharaoh. It was his cupbearer and his baker. Now, if you probably know what a cupbearer is, but let me make sure we do. A cupbearer would be the one who, his job, amongst other things, was to basically be the one that would drink from the king's cup before the king would in case someone tried to kill, assassinate him through poison. That way, if it was poison, the guy would drink it. They'd wait a few minutes. If he didn't fall over dead, the king would know it was safe to drink from his own cup. So what a fun job that would be. But anyhow, the cupbearer, he, he, he must have ticked off the king and him and the baker. So it must have been food related. I don't know. They get tossed into prison. 
in the king's prison where Joseph is kind of running the place as a prisoner himself. So now he's taking care of their needs. And one day, he comes by to bring them breakfast or something, and he sees that both of these men, the cupbearer and the, and the chief baker, are just seem to be bothered by something. He said, guys, what's wrong? They're like, man. And one of them says, I had a crazy dream last night. It wasn't just like a normal crazy dream. It was like a really, like it meant something, a dream that meant something, but I don't know what it could have meant. It was weird. And then my friend over here, he had a dream too, and it was, it was like mine, but different than mine. But it, it seemed to mean something too, and we're both just wondering, why do we have those dreams? Is it the prison? I don't know what's going on. And Joseph's like, well, guys, why don't you tell me your dream? You know, I have this ability to understand dreams and understand what they mean. Well, at least I used to think I did. But anyhow, let me help you. And they told him their dreams, and we won't repeat them for sake of time. They're kind of wild. But anyhow, at the end, Joseph's like, well, got some interesting news. To the chief cupbearer, he says, the king, in three days, your dream means that in three days he's going to take you and remember that you're here and change his mind and give you your old job back. You're going to leave the prison, get your old job back, and you're going to be his, his cupbearer once again. That's awesome. Knuckles, you know. And then the chief baker's like, well, tell me mine. He goes, yeah, about that. Also in three days, the king's going to remember you. He's going to take you and he's going to hang you. You're going to die. Sorry about that. So Joseph says to the cupbearer, do me a favor. Baker, so sorry, man. But hey, cupbearer, do me a favor. When you get out of here, put in a good word for me. At this point of the story, if you think Joseph's just sitting back, just trusting the process, trusting the process, Joseph now tries to finagle his own way forward. He's like, I got to get out of here. Don't miss what's happening. Joseph's like, I've been forgotten. It's all gone bad. All this all gone sideways. All the roads are closed. He, he says to the cupbearer, you got to put a good word in for me. When you go back to Pharaoh and you're his cupbearer, you get to talking to him sometimes, tell him about me. The guy, the young guy in prison who, who was sharp and who kind of ran the place and took good care of you while you were here. Tell him about your dream, how I interpret it for you. Help me. I shouldn't be here. I've been falsely accused. Please, you got to get me out of here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I'll do that. Knuckles, Joseph, good deal. Baker, so sorry. Never mind. Hey, we'll take care of you. Sure enough, three days later, the king had a birthday. He remembers the guys in prison, calls him out. Gives the cupbearer his job back, hangs the baker. Genesis 40, verse 23 says, Pharaoh's cheap cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. In other words, in other words, he got his job back and thought, that was a scary time, and he didn't want to bring it up. Who wants to go to the king and say, remember the time you threw me in prison? We're just going to never talk about it again. I'm not going to give Joseph another thought. It didn't happen. Forget about it. It's just moving forward. <laughs> Joseph's plan to find a way out has failed. Folks, for two more years. Let me say that again. For two, for two more years, his one ticket, he thought he found a ticket possibly out of there, failed. And two more years of rotting in that prison go by. And one day, one day, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, has a crazy dream of his own. He wakes up in the middle of the night after this insanely crazy dream, and he's like, whoa, that was wild. That seemed to be important. I imagine he gets up, he goes to the royal bathroom, 
gets himself a royal drink and makes a note to his baker, no more spicy food before I go to bed. He goes back to bed and has another crazy dream that was different than the first dream but was similar enough to seem to be correlated. But they were both intense. And he wakes up the next morning, he can't shake this thing. He can't shake it. He's like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do something. So he, begins, he calls his therapist. Hey, I had a dream. Therapist can't help him. He calls his magicians in the land. He calls everyone he can think of. Guys, help me. Someone help me here. I had a crazy dream, and it has to mean something. Who can figure out what this dream means? And everyone's like, I don't know. Beats me. About that time, the cupbearer, who's hanging around, burying his cup, the cupbearer says, yeah, I've not told you a story because, well, anyhow, remember you threw me in prison a couple of years ago? There was this kid in there, a young man in there, adult man named Joseph. He took good care of us. He kind of ran the place as a prisoner. But anyhow, Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams. And I had a dream, and he tells him the whole story. I was like, really? Call him up. Can you imagine Joseph in the prison another day? Years have gone by. It's been two years since that happened, waiting for nothing. And all of a sudden, into the prison, someone comes and says, uh, Pharaoh wants to see you. You're leaving the prison to see Pharaoh. And, and Joseph's got to be thinking, either the chief cupbearer remembered me and put in a good word for me, or Potiphar put in a bad word for me. I don't know. Either way, yeah, what, what's happening? He gets to change his clothes, wash up, and leave, and go stand before the king. And the king says, man, Joseph, I'm glad you're here. I had a crazy dream or two last night. Can you help? And Joseph's like, well, God can interpret dreams. Why don't you let me know what it is? And I won't tell you the dreams because it's a long story already. But he, he has these dreams. And, and Joseph hears both dreams and says, oh, Pharaoh, God has done you a solid. He has helped you out. You have no idea. Those dreams mean the same thing. And he gave it to you twice to tell you it's going to happen. And it's going to happen soon. Here's what's coming according to your dreams. God is showing you that for the next seven years, is going to be a time of unrivaled prosperity. The economy is going to soar. Everyone's indexed funds are going to outperform. It's going to be amazing. They're going to, crops are going to grow. It's going to flourish. The land will be fruitful. But after those seven years are over, after those seven years are going to come seven years of recession that are going to be so bad and so depleting to the economy that everyone's going to forget about the seven good years that preceded them. And God has shown you this because you have an opportunity, Pharaoh. You have the opportunity to get in front of this thing. So here's what you should do. Get yourself the right personnel, the right person in charge, the right team, and you go ahead and meet the next seven years while everyone's living high off the hog and living off the fat of the land, don't do it. You save, you put away, you, you, you get yourself a big reserve. You set aside all that you can during these prosperous years. Tax the people at 20% of their, pro, of, their, of, of their profits, which they don't like, but they won't mind because it's going to be so prosperous that no one's going to complain too much. And you just store it up and you save it up and you prepare. And people are going to call you an over-preparer. They're going to tell you have too much of a surplus. They're going to make fun of you. But you just save and save and save because when that recession hits and everyone's in trouble and they come looking for food and help, you're going to have the means to help. And you'll be able to grow and buy and expand. You'll be able to do what rich people have always done, what, what prepared people have always done in bad times. You get wealthy when everyone else is in trouble. And you could build the kingdom and you could expand your empire during the coming recession. 
So find the right people, put them in charge, and let's go. That's your dream. And Pharaoh's so impressed. He's like, Joseph, wow. He says, I don't know anybody else I can trust to do that. I mean, you know how to interpret dreams. You see the vision for the future. You have the right advice. I think you're the guy. And so in verse, chapter 41, verse 41, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And he explains, you get the things together for seven years. You prepare it. You store it up. You do what you said. You help us build through, and when the bad times come, we'll get further ahead. And Joseph's life changed in a moment. In a moment. He went back to the prison to turn in his room keys, get his refund. No, just kidding. He leaves there. He gets, a, he gets his own house, not his father's house that he grew up in, not Potiphar's house that he was a slave in, and not the prison house. He gets his own house. He gets married. He has a couple children. He has a couple sons. Joseph's life is now going up and to the right. And he begins to gather and gather and store and oversave during the good times instead of living off of the fat of the land. He begins to save it up. And when the, when the drought comes and the famine hits and everything's in trouble in the next seven years after that, people begin to turn and they had plenty. And they began to sell it and buy people's land and property. And they expand the kingdom of Egypt into an empire. And Joseph becomes a free, powerful man, settled in, house, family, and a national savior for the Egyptian people. And if we stopped right there, it's a good story. We can stop right there and make our point. But I want to go a little further. One day, the famine and drought were so bad that they covered all the way to the area further from Egypt where Joseph's family lived. And his father, who's quite old, says to all of Joseph's brothers, remember those guys? He says, guys, we have nothing. We're running out of some supplies. Go to Egypt. And I hear they have, somehow have plenty there. And, and let's make it a deal and, and, and with them and let's get some food here. So Joseph's brothers all head over to Egypt. And they end up in the very presence of Joseph. And they don't recognize him. 13, folks, 13 years have passed. Joseph is not a kid anymore. He's 30 years old now. They don't recognize him. They think he's a slave somewhere. Here's this guy in charge. They don't think it's him. He speaks the Egyptian language. He's in charge. What could that be? But he recognizes them, and he kind of does some weird things to toy with them. Who knows if he was getting revenge or having some fun or testing their character. It doesn't matter. For today's story, it doesn't matter. What happens is, over a period of time, he lets his brothers know, guys, it's me, Joseph. How's dad doing? And he begins to cry. He's like crying. How's dad? And, and they're like terrified. Oh man, we, we thought we got rid of this kid and hurt him. And now he's gonna, he can crush us now. He says, you guys go home and tell dad what happened and that I'm here. Bring him back here. This bad season, this recession is just getting started. You gotta go find him and bring him back. Because for the next several years, it's gonna be tough around here, but I can take care of you. And he's able to tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, man, bring them here. We'll give them the best of the land. They can bring their flocks here and they can enjoy it. I'll hire some of your brothers. They can work for me as my, for my livestock. I mean, it was a great deal. Of course, I imagine the brothers had an awkward conversation back home with dad. Hey, dad, about Joseph. <laughs> Turns out he wasn't dead like we said he was. Funny story. Um, we sold him into slavery. But he's doing great. I mean, I can't imagine how that went down. But either way, they bring dad to Egypt. They're set. They're given great land. They're given jobs for the king. And he saves his family, and he saves the land of Egypt, and he is prospering. Eventually, 
Joseph's dad died in the years to come. And when his dad died, the brothers became concerned. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15 says this. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. In other words, they're like, we're in trouble. Because they saw what happened through a certain lens. Their lens was... Our twerp brother, we didn't like him. We, made a, we didn't kill him, but we sold him into slavery. Thought we got the best of him. And now he's in charge of Egypt, and, and he's in charge of us, and he could kill us tomorrow. He has the upper hand. Whoops. But that's the lens through which they saw it. The lens through which Joseph saw it was different. Joseph saw the broken road that he had traveled, was God, that God was in it. That there were certain paths along his journey that were closed. But they were simply detours on the way to his destination. And it, it wasn't just at the end when his brothers were there. By the way, when his brothers came and they bowed low before him. Hmm. It wasn't just in that moment that he saw it. Joseph saw that God's hand was in it all along the way. In fact, when Joseph was 17 and first sold into slavery at Potiphar's house, Genesis 39 verse 2 tells us the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the house of his Egyptian master. In other words, he was not alone. The Lord was with him. Have you ever been someplace that was scary or unknown and you were with someone that you loved and you, and you looked at them and said, hey, let's just hold hands. Hey, Whatever we do, let's not get separated. Don't, uh, stay with me. Don't let go. I won't. Don't worry. You're with me. I'm with you. The Lord was with Joseph, and he did not let go. And when Joseph was doing fine there, but was eventually lied about and falsely accused and thrown into prison, once again in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with a prison warden. Once again, he found himself in a new scary place, but the Lord was still there, and he still was not letting go. And Joseph saw all along that there was, he was not abandoned. He was just on a detour. See, Joseph realized something in his journey that is so informative for us today. That just because the road isn't perfect doesn't mean that God isn't in it. And I don't know who today needs to hear that most. And I know sometimes along the path of life, it doesn't go the way we think it's supposed to and it's far from perfect. But listen carefully and, and, and let it stick with you today, please. Just because the road isn't perfect doesn't mean God isn't in it. Because Joseph understood this, he was able to look at his brothers, not as people who had ruined his life and had canceled his dreams, but who simply changed the trajectory of his journey. In fact, when they were there cowering in fear, here's what he said to them instead in Genesis 50, 20. He said, you intended it to harm me. You intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me. You didn't send me. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph had a different perspective about his broken road. 
If Joseph was speaking these words in today's vernacular in the context of this sermon series, he may have said it this way. He said, you tried to close the road, but God still brought me to the destination that he planned for me. The, the way, this way wasn't easier, but it was better. Look at all the good that has happened because of it. And I hope that today, wherever you are in life, and I understand we all have a preferred trip plan mapped out, how it's supposed to go, how we prefer it to unfold, how we dream and plan for it to go. But I want you to hear this today and maybe take this home with you, and that is this, that God doesn't need your preferred road to take you to his preferred destination. That you may have a certain route in mind and it may be closed along the way somewhere. And that happens. But God does not need your preferred road to take you to his preferred destination. He's got one for you. And I know what someone might be thinking. Someone today might be hearing the whole story and saying, cool story, bro. But here's the deal. I'm not Joseph. Yeah, that's a great story. Good guy Joseph had his bad guy brothers close a road, but then God still found another path, and then bad guy Potiphar's wife closed the next road, but God's the good guy Joseph. That's great for Joseph, and all the Josephs of the world can rejoice in that wonderful story, but Arlen, that's not me. I'm no Joseph. I'm not that good. Arlen, I have roads closed in my life because I closed them. Something I did shut the door. I did close the road. And I'm looking at a road that I created the closure and saying, now what? So, nice story, but what about me? What does that do for me? And I want to say this to you, and I want to talk about it. Listen, real quick. Don't quit because of the obstacles, even if you're the one who put them there. You see, our entire gospel is built around the idea that our sin, okay, our sins, cut our obstacle off towards perfection and heaven and eternal life on our own merit. We were in trouble, but God built the bridge, didn't he? God made the way for us to be restored to him. The entire Christian message, not just the gospel, but the entire Christian life is a continual story of God saying to people who, who make their own mistakes and close their own roads sometimes to say, hey, listen, it's okay. I can make another path. I can reroute this thing. We just got to take a detour. So don't quit because of the obstacles, even if you're the one who put them there. Here's the deal. God, God is big enough. We got to believe this today. The gospel should have taught us this, and we forget sometimes. God is big enough to have a great destination and a great journey for you from where you are, regardless of the past. So what happens when the road's closed? Is it inconvenient? Yep. Is it frustrating? Probably. Is it going to take longer? Sure. But don't ever think it's time to stop and go back home because what's the point? You just got to feel, realize there's another way. There's a detour, and God will go with you. The story we told earlier about Laura's story, when her husband had the brain tumor and he, his capacity became like a child again, and her life was upheaval and upheaval. She was beginning to grieve and had a real long season of difficulty, and finally one day, she began to kind of start to see maybe God was working. And her sister, I believe, her sister said to her one day, she said, don't you see, Laura, the detour is the plan. The detour is the road. Joseph's story. See, it's been so long, Arlen. Joseph, it was almost half of his life. 
from 17 to 30, almost half of his life was from a dream through hardship and loss and false accusations and bad people and tough circumstances. Almost half of his life before it came out the other side. So I want to leave you a Bible verse today and then a rule. They're on the cards that we have out back for you. We always give you a, a verse of Scripture and a rule. And today's Scripture is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and I think we need to hear this one today. It says, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then, then you will receive all that he has promised. I love those words, patient endurance. Patient endurance, folks, Patient means waiting. It means how long? For Joseph, almost half of his life. I don't know. How long? For me. Patience. Waiting. But endurance implies something else. It doesn't mean just standing with my hands in my pocket waiting. It means I'm going to keep doing. I'm going to persevere. What's next? I'm going to turn around. I'm going to find another way. I gotta, while I'm waiting, what can I do? Where can I go? How can I move? What can be done while I'm waiting? It's patient, patient endurance is what you need. So that you will continue, continue, don't quit. Continue to do God's will. Believe there's another path. Believe there's another road. Believe there's a purpose still. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Now, I gave you that verse. I'm going to give you the rule for the day. The rule for the day is simply this. I'll give you a rule number four. Don't tell your brothers about your dreams, okay? You're welcome. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's not the rule for the day. That's a good one, though, okay? No, rule number four is simply this. Keep going even if it's not the way you want to go. Keep going even if it's not the way you wanted to go.